Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and once again, I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. I don't normally make a big deal about some sports documentary, but there's a first time for everything. So let me tell you, The Last Dance that just completed 10-part series on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls is the best, I mean best, I have ever, ever seen by far, and I have seen plenty. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, like I said, I don't usually make a big deal about sports documentaries, but this there's so many reasons I like this uh, last dance, and I was really anxious to talk about it. But I, 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 let me just start off by saying... With this pandemic and everything going on, certainly nothing to laugh about. You know, we haven't had any sports. To me, what Michael Jordan and the Bulls just did with this last dance was actually giving us sports that we haven't had for the past, I guess it's going on three months. Just a tremendous, tremendous series. But let me begin by first saying something that the former Giants great head coach Bill Parcells told me many, many years ago. We were sitting having lunch, and we were talking about guys. He had already left the Giants. The infamous Ray Hanley had replaced him. We're sitting having lunch, and he, we were talking about different players, and he says to me, this is Parcells, says to me about Lawrence Taylor and Phil Sims. He goes, let me tell you something, you know, in his Jersey attitude. Let me tell you something. Taylor and Sims would compete in a parking lot. And at the time, I didn't really get what he was saying, just that they were competitors. But the more I covered sports, year in and year out, and the more I watched certain guys, I understood 
what he meant. And throughout the 10-part series of watching The Last Dance, that personified everything you needed to know about Michael Jordan. I mean, if you remember, any of you who watched, or maybe those of you who didn't watch, there was a point uh, where he was asked if he had a gambling problem, or was it either a gambling problem or a gambling addiction. And his answer was no. I have an addiction with competing, and he's 100% right. And I really believe this to my bones, the great ones, the truly, truly great ones are addicted to competition. You hang around enough, you know, because I've been in the business, you, you go around enough great, and I'm not talking about just talent that athletes. I'm talking about the best, the cream of the crop, what drives them. The great ones compete all the time. They compete in, in practice. They compete in tiddlywinks. You know, I, I mentioned to you what Parcells, uh, what Parcells said to me about Sims and Taylor would compete in a parking lot. Well, Phil Simmons once had me up to his place, uh, his country club, to golf. I'll never forget it. And I'm, you know, I'm just looking for a nice, friendly, you know, day in, you know, day out on on the course. And he was on the putting green with a friend. And that's the difference between the real pros and the great ones, and then just anybody else. He was competing on the putting green. And this is not about Phil Sims, it's about Michael Jordan, but I'm trying to give you a prelim up to Michael Jordan. What you got to see in the last dance was the ultimate. And listen, we've, if, if, if you've covered sports for a long time and watched great athletes, we've seen some tremendous competitors. Tremendous. But I would challenge any and everyone to find a fiercer competitor than Michael Jordan. You know, you're going to hear things about him being a bully and, you know, was a tough guy and everything wasn't all, like, peachy. And... So what? You don't get to be that good. Well, let me correct myself. <laughs> Forget about good. Good doesn't enter into the vocabulary. You don't get to be that great, that spectacular, as Michael Jordan was by not demanding of yourself and others. You don't get to win six NBA titles in eight years by not demanding of yourself and others. Champions think like champions. They don't think about what it's like never to be there. 
never to get that brass ring. They don't, the truly great ones don't think that way. And listen, there have been a lot of great players in the history of sports who've never won the big one. They're in the various Hall of Fames. But the likes of Michael Jordan, and to me there is only one Michael Jordan, you don't get to be that way by accepting, oh, we won X amount of division titles. We won X amount of conference titles. We got to the seventh game. You don't get to where he's gotten by thinking, that way you know they talk I'm, I'm reading the last few days and even once this thing got going after a couple of episodes you know his, his demanding of, of his players of, of his teammates Vince Lombardi who the Super Bowl trophy is named after Vince Lombardi who the Super Bowl trophy was named after, is named after, regarded by many as perhaps the greatest coach in NFL history, head coach. Certainly he'd be on the Mount Rushmore. Jerry Kramer, his Hall of Fame guard. Jerry Kramer once said, Lombardi treats everybody equal. He treats us all like dogs. It was Lombardi who was said, quite and coined the phrase, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. That's what separates the champs from not the champs. That was watching Michael Jordan. It... it it brought back so many memories for me because I covered it. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I wasn't in Chicago, but I got to see Jordan up close. I got to see him at the Garden. I got to see him at the time it was Continental Airlines Arena where the Nets played. I got to see so many of I remember each and every playoff game and, and those tremendous performances. From another planet. Uh, the more you watched The Last Dance, and we all fall into this trap, and I don't like doing it when we say, well, who is the best player of all time? Was it this guy? Was it that guy? Is it Michael? Is it LeBron? Uh, not because, first of all, players play in different eras. Players play in different eras, okay? And centers are centers, and guards are guards, and forwards are forwards. But if I need one guy with the ball in his hands, and there's a bunch of guys you can choose from, one guy, <laughs> it's Jordan. Sorry, LeBron, it is Jordan. And that's that's not taking anything away from LeBron. But Jordan's the guy. Why was Phil Jackson, let's, let's any of you Knicks fans listening out there, 
listen, we know his presidency was uh, with the New York Knicks was ill-fated, okay? It was not a good one. But a great, all-time great NBA coach. And, and Phil Jackson had a guy by the name of Tex Winter who was teaching everybody, you know, the triangle offense. He had good assistants, but he also had an assistant coach on the court because his court general was Michael Jordan. And if you don't think so, you're making a huge mistake. Because the players weren't only answering to their head coach, they had to answer to their, their teammate. And that teammate was Jordan. Jordan demanded what his players do. Jordan demanded what his teammates do. When you talk about, I mean, you could play, you could be able to knock the ball down and put it in the hole, but if you were Jordan's teammate, he'd be up your ass in a finger snap if you weren't playing defense. I've sat courtside where I was able to, I, I sat courtside, at the Continental Airlines Arena, I'll tell you what, what game it was. It was the Re- Dennis Rodman headbutt game. So it was, that was the 95-96 season. Rodman headbutted a refer- referee. But in that game, I remember I was sitting in the courtside uh, media seats. In that game, he called Tony Kukoc over. And, and bending down like his, with his hands on his knees, gritting his teeth, says, Tony, get over here. Don't you effing know you need to, when you're playing D, you got to cover him this way. You got you got to be at the right place at the right time. Stuff like that. That's demanding. Now, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can demand those things. When you're that great, you can demand it because you get the attention and the respect of your teammates. Yeah, without question, Michael Jordan was the star. But nobody worked harder than the star. You know that old expression, actions speak louder than words? MJ had all the actions to back it up. All the actions to back it up. Winning wasn't everything to Jordan. It was the only thing. And, you know, there were questions, a lot of questions in it. I mean, I'm going to go through a bunch of things, but let me give you an example. Scottie Pippen. You know, a lot was made of Scottie Pippen, who's, listen, Scottie Pippen's not a good player. Scottie Pippen was a great player. Terrific player. But as great as Pippen was, and you saw it in there. As great as Pippen was, and he was 
given plenty of credit for being great. Not the leader, not the man Michael Jordan was. Now, I will give Pippen credit for uh, overcoming some faux pas, if you will. Such as, uh, well, remember that game? What was it, 93-94 season? Uh, it was the first season, you know, after the first three-peat, Jordan was playing baseball. And what was it? The uh, series was tied at one apiece with the Knicks. And with one point, um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Now. It, it was that um, series where he, he didn't want to go in. 1.8 seconds, he left it to Tony Kukoc to take a shot. And all of a sudden, he didn't want to go in. The coach looked at him, you don't want to go in. It was a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. You know, I don't know if any athlete could survive that today. It was a disgrace then, but I don't know if any with the social media and everything going on, you know, they'd be hollering at you that you had a yellow streak up and down your spine. But in fairness to Pippen, he overcame that. In fact, he had a very good game in game four. And listen, the year Jordan left, Scottie Pippen's, and I'd say Scottie Pippen's Bulls because that was Scottie Pippen's team then. He was the leader. And with 1.8 seconds left in the game, he, he failed to lead. But um, So he came back and had a great game four. And then at the Garden, they were up a point on the Knicks. Right? Ready to win game five. And if you remember, or many of you don't, Hubert Davis took a shot. And Pippen... Stretched, reached to block the shot. What's his name? Uh, Hubert Davis rushed his shot, missed. But um, they, Hugh Hollins, Hugh Hollins was the ref, said that Pippen grazed his hand, and it was after the shot. I mean, listen, it was in the garden. And it, but let me tell you, most people sitting there, if they were honest about it, knew the Knicks got a gift. Could you imagine what would have happened had the Knicks lost that game? So the Bulls would have been up three games to two. The Bulls would have been up three games to two. Not down three games to two. They subsequently lost in seven. But the Bulls would have been up. What, would, what do you think would have happened? How would history view the Scottie Pippen-led Bulls who won 55 games that season, what do you think would have happened in the history books had maybe the Bulls won that game and went on to win, maybe, let's say, an NBA title that year? 
How would that have affected a lot of things, including the legacy of Michael? Because people might have said, hey, they won without Michael. Bulls were good without Michael, but they weren't great without Michael. They did not win the championships. I'm giving you a bunch of what-ifs, but woulda, shoulda, coulda doesn't get it done. Great player, Scotty. Hall of Fame player. Deserves to be there. But I firmly believe it was the Jordan influence that lifted Scotty to another level. You know what they say? Great players make the people around them better. I don't think for one second any one of those players would say they weren't all better because of the presence of Michael Jordan. Now, don't get me wrong. Great players need a supporting cast. Great players need a supporting cast. He had the supporting cast. But, you know, barring an old Reggie Jackson phrase, but Jordan was the straw. Right? He was the straw that uh, stirred the drink. He was the guy. His desire to win, his addiction to compete, his hating to lose, was any and everything you wanted to know. Now, there, there was, you know, a, a bunch of other things were cleared up to me anyway. They were cleared up in the uh, documentary. I thought it was ridiculous at the time. I would maintain it now. Uh, David Stern, the late great NBA commissioner, brought it up. Somebody else brought it up. This business that it was Michael, there was a deal made because they wanted Michael Jordan suspended for a couple of years because of his gambling. I thought that was a bunch of shit then. I believe it's a bunch of shit now. I will believe it's a bunch of shit 50 years from now. You know, that whole, to me, that whole business was absurd. Well, yeah, but a guy bets like 10000 or 20000 or 50000 whatever it is, on a golf course or at the tables or what. Folks, 10000 50000 to Michael Jordan might be 50 or or $100 to you and me. He lives large because he is large, and he's got the money to do it. And, and the point, you're going to say that the greatest player in the world, arguably, not just the NBA, but, you know, when Michael Jordan, well, you know, when Michael Jordan was playing, he was arguably the most famous athlete in the world all of a sudden. There's going to be some hidden agreement that he's going to go away and play baseball. Come on, stop. Made no sense whatsoever. Made no sense whatsoever. So I didn't buy into that at all. And then let's talk about Dennis Rodman. To say Dennis Rodman is a loose cannon, I would think you and I would all agree that that's a huge understatement. Huge understatement. But 
and it's a big but, but Dennis Grod, excuse me, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was not a good player. Dennis Rodman was a great, great player. Well, you want me to clarify that? A great, one of the all-time great defensive players. Two-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. And Michael Jordan understood that. Michael Jordan understood that. And I think Michael Jordan, you, you saw things in there. Michael Jordan could say things to Dennis that maybe other players or other people couldn't say to Dennis. Why? Because Michael Jordan had Rodman's respect. Could, could because Dennis Rodman knew that Michael Jordan let his actions speak, la speak louder than words. And subsequently, head coach Phil Jackson knew what he had in Dennis Rodman. He knew that there were t things where, you know, you'd want to bang your head against the wall. But he knew with the aid of Phil Jackson... He could overcome, I won't even call them speed bumps, I'll call them sinkholes, and live with Dennis Rodman. Because it was easy to understand, both from Jackson's standpoint, and, uh, excuse me, both from Phil Jackson's standpoint and Michael Jordan's standpoint, what it meant to have a guy who played defense the way Rodman did. You know, when Chuck Daly you know, head coach of the Bad Boys with the Pistons, head coach of the Dream Team. I got to know Chuck fairly well when um, he was coach of the Nets. And I remember asking him about Dennis Rodman. And I remember him saying to me, you know what it's like to be the head coach of a team? You're in a team where all these guys are stars. Everybody wants the ball. And you have this one guy on your team who doesn't give a shit about getting the ball except off rebounds. All he wants to do is play defense. Daly would say to me, you, you know, Russ, you know how, how much easier that makes your life when you got a guy, all he wants to do is play defense? And... You know, for Chuck Daly, he played it better than anybody in the league because he was a two-time back-to-back uh, NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Well, Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson understood that. So to me, that was really, really special. I want to see, you know, I, I mentioned, um, you know, Pippen deciding he didn't want to go in 1.8 1, 1. seconds left. And then there was the other time. Remember the, you know, the, the migraine headache game where he wanted to be taken out, he couldn't play? Now, I'm not saying he didn't have a migraine headache. But then go remember the game, the flu game, 
that Michael Jordan had, where he willed himself to play, sick as a dog. That separates, I don't want to say the men from the boys, but that just separates the truly elite from even saying the elite. That, those are the things that makes Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. His, his hunger to compete, his hunger to win, his hunger to be the best, it was just extraordinary. And because, you know, when I watched Michael Jordan, here's another thing about Michael Jordan. I mean, look at the success he's had off the court financially. Air Jordans, to, I mean, underwear commercials, to this commercials, to you know, movies, to this and that. But here's the difference. I've also said this about people from Michael Jordan's era and guys from today. And I'm, I'll talk about Jordan. I'll, I'll put... I'll put the Magic Johnsons in that. I'll put uh, Charles Barkley. I'll even put I'll put Shaq. Different guys. Michael Jordan, for all his fame and tremendous success, for all that he has, you know, big businessman, gazillionaire, tremendous success. What Michael Jordan touches turns to gold. To Michael Jordan, it all started with basketball. Michael Jordan, and, and I mentioned these other guys too, guys from that era, they were basketball players first. They weren't worried about being movie stars. They weren't worried about being rappers. They weren't worried about this and that. They all knew it all what they had, it all started including their education and getting a scholarship, it all started with their sport, basketball. Michael Jordan, as much as a superstar in the world that he was, he knew he was a basketball player first. He wasn't looking on his cell phone 24-7. He wasn't tweeting out 24-7. He was just Michael Jordan, the greatest player, certainly of his time and arguably all time. A tremendous, tremendous winner. And again, a, a lot of the discussion comes up with who is the greatest player of all time. Again, I said it before, I will say it again. You, you, you can't measure guards against centers, okay? Will Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game. Will Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game. As far as a winner goes, Bill Russell won 11 NBA titles in 13 years. And that was preceded by winning two NCAA titles at San, uh, at San Francisco, plus a gold medal. So if there's been a greater winner in the history of basketball, there's none greater than um, Bill Russell. 
if you ask me who is the better center, I would, I mean, what's, Will Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game and pulling down 20-some-odd rebounds a game. Bill Russell, for being a guy who wasn't considered an offensive player, averaged 15 points a game and I think 22 or 23 rebounds a game. My point being, you can go with all kinds of numbers, but you can't compare centers to, and guards to, and forwards. It's different positions. But Michael Jordan, I don't know. His competitive nature was just second to none. I thought I thought the best line of it all came out with where he said that was his addiction. That was his problem. Competition. He had to compete. I've never been with him on a golf course. I'm sure he competes at cards checkers, anything. That's what makes him who he is, who he was. And also what it meant to win as a teammate. I thought one of the most telling moments when he was talking about, and I'm just paraphrasing now, he was asked about his teammates and his demands. Was he a bully? And he kind of, in the middle of the interview, he had to cut it and take a break, and you can see he was getting emotional. I mean, I thought that said it all. Because he probably knew. Not, he, not probably. He did know that he was a rough and tough guy. But, you know, what price glory? That's what he taught his teammates. What price glory? How, how many times have you said you've heard that cliche? Well, okay, who wants it more? How many times have you heard that, whether it was in football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever? You certainly heard it in the world of boxing. All right. Fifteenth round. That's when they used to fight 15 rounds. Twelve rounds, final round. Who wants it more? Nobody wanted it more than Michael Jordan. Nobody, nobody, nobody wanted it more than Michael Jordan. For all the fame and glory and everything else, what I said, though, he was and epitomizes what a basketball player should be. Wanting to take a backseat, what a professional athlete should be. Wanting to take a backseat to no one. Hey, why do you play? You play to win. That's why you play. You play to win. That's the goal. Everybody wants to win a championship. Somebody wants to talk about oh, maybe Mike was a bit of a bully. He didn't come across as the nicest guy. Well, you know what? There's a price you have to pay. You know, I don't. I don't. You know, believe in that old adage. Leo DeRocha, baseball said, oh, "Nice guys finish last." I don't, I don't buy that. But you got to really want it. You got to really fight for it. You got to really pay a price. And sometimes you got to make tough decisions. Which, speaking of tough decisions, I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up uh, Jerry Krause in this. 
you know, you see it all, you looked at all those athletes, and then you look at Jerry Krause, this frumpy, pudgy, looking like anything but an athlete general manager. And he's the guy who took the team apart. But before he took the team apart, give him credit, he put the team together. He came on, Jordan was there, but he came on and look at the guys that he brought on the team. Starting with the head coach. Starting with the head coach, Phil Jackson. He replaced Doug Collins with Phil Jackson. Michael Jordan loved Doug Collins. But he replaced Collins. Knowing that his star player really liked Collins. So he had the balls to make that kind of move because he wanted them to teach. Uh, he knew Jackson would implement the triangle because Tex Winter was already there. He did that. Jerry Krause bought in Scottie Pippen. Jerry Krause bought in Tony Kukoc. Jerry Krause brought in B.J. Armstrong. Jerry Krause brought in Steve Kerr. Brought in Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he took the team apart. And for whatever reason, I've been in this game too long to know that there are always... It's a business, and there are always decisions that are made, popular or unpopular. Uh, uh, I certainly would have taken the team apart, but I'm dealing from emotion. I'm, 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 I was a sportscaster watching it. For, for local sports fans, let me remind you, after the Giants won their first Super Bowl, After the Giants won their first Super Bowl, Bill Parcells already was looking, uh, let him rest in peace, George Young, the GM. He couldn't even enjoy himself that offseason because Parcells uh, was looking maybe to go someplace else or leveraging. And, you know, Parcells held a bit of a grudge because... You know, George Young was thinking of firing Parcells. What was, I think, Bill, what was Bill? Three and, uh, um, he won three, Parcells, that, that, first, that year won three games. His first year. I don't think anybody was clamoring, that, well, we got to keep the big tuna. He's going to be the great Hall of Fame head coach. Guys don't get along is what I'm saying. Stuff happens. Unpopular decisions are made, albeit right or wrong, they are made. 
that's just it. I remember when um, Phil Sims, when George Young made the decision to let go of Phil Sims. I remember being down in the press room downstairs at Old Giant Stadium. I remember the look on Wellington Mara, let, let him rest in peace, the late great patriarch of the Giants, the look on his face. He was distraught. I remember his son, John Marrow, who's the president now, telling me when he drove his father home that day, his father was despondent in the car. He just loved Phil. But he was the owner. He could have maybe said, no, we can't do this. But he felt George, whether I liked it or not, never did anything that wasn't in the best interest of the Giants. He built the Giants. This was his decision. Jerry Krause put that championship squad together. This was his decision. Do I agree with the decision? No. No, I did not agree with the decision. But there were certain things that had to be done, the financial aspects, you know, caps, this and that. Money, everybody looking for different things. I get it. I understood that. And I would not have made the decision that he made. But make sure it does not get lost. Let Jerry Krause rest in peace. What he did with that team, he was very much part of that championship legendary team. His fingerprints are all over it. And, you know, quite frankly, it was very nice to see uh, Pippen, I don't know if it was in episode 9 or episode 10, giving him credit for being a great general manager. And, and believe me, I understood Pippen being upset. I understood Pippen not, you know, playing for, you know, in basketball money, peanuts compared to what other people in the league were. He, he was like the sixth highest paid player on the team. Forget about the league on the team. But you can't take anything away from what Jerry Krause did. But the best thing that I can say for, for those of you who may have been younger, who didn't have the good fortune of living through it, you were able to see Michael Jordan in some great spots. For me, it just took me down memory lane. But just an extraordinary, an extraordinary talent. That was an extraordinary team. I mean, the candor that you got to see from Jordan. I mean, I loved it. I like the fact that he was talking about the Pistons as being assholes. Because I remember, and I, I wasn't a Bulls fan, but I remember when the Pistons, with, what was it, seven seconds to go, they were basically being dethroned, so they just walked off the court. He was right. Jordan was right. You know, easy to be a good winner. How do you handle defeat? The 
thing about Michael Jordan, when you win six and eight years, you don't have to worry about handling defeat too much. You don't have to worry about handling defeat too much. So, um, as I say, you know what they, what was the song, Save the Last Dance for Me? The Last Dance? Let me tell you, that is was an all-time epic, ten-part series. Um, they'll be talking about that for a long time. And, and maybe they're even talking about it a little more now because of the time we're in. It gave us sports for the past uh, five weeks. For the past five Sundays, it gave us real sports. A look back at one of the great dynasties in sports history. Uh, one of the greatest players in sports history. Just a fun time. But um, the two things that I take away from that series, yeah, Michael Jordan had an addiction. He had an addiction to competition. And because of that addiction, he was a tremendous winner. And the other thing that I take away, with all his fame and with all of his vast fortune, Michael Jordan is smart enough to know it's all because of basketball. And I think a lot of the young players today, they're great ones, but I think that's what they need to remember. You want to be a star on TV, you want to make all kinds of commercials, you want to, you want to make movies, you want to be a hip-hop artist, that's great. But you ain't getting there if you didn't have the platform of basketball. And when, when Jordan had his platform, he was the main attraction. And right now, that is a wrap on today. I hope you all enjoyed listening to The Last Dance and me chat about it. I want to thank you all for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's podcast. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg. On Facebook, you can also check out my website at russsalzberg.com. My thanks to my main man across the way, Matt Meany, always takes good care of me. To my 77 WABC program director, Dave Labrosi, his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl. WABC president, Chad Lopez. And last but certainly not least, a great big thank you to all you people out there. Because without you people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Catch you next time. Bye-bye. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.